0: Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this Easter weekend, I am reviewing three new movies for you. Two of them are brand new. One of them came out about two weeks ago, and I'm going to get to that one a bit later. I'm just playing a little bit of uh, catch-up here, because a lot of times there are some movies that I cannot see on opening weekend, usually because of time constraints, but better late than never is usually the case for me. And considering that the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, doing my show on the Oscars, and now Oscar season is officially over. it's it's now time for me to get into some actual movie reviews. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is fantastic beasts. The secrets of Dumbledore. This is the uh, third movie in the series of fantastic beasts and where to find them, which when the Harry Potter movies and uh, books came out books, first, then movies, of course, uh, it, the fantastic Beasts and where to find them was a required textbook at Hogwarts. But since then, J.K. Rowling actually developed uh, the Fantastic Beasts films for the big screen and to varying amounts of success. The first uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them uh, movie that came out in 2016 was actually uh, not... Uh, based on a book. It was actually based on an original screenplay co-written by J.K. Rowling based on the characters and some of the history of the Harry Potter series. And that movie was a big hit, so big in fact that it resulted in a 2018 movie that was called Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And Grindelwald was also one of those characters who did not make an appearance in any of the Harry Potter books But uh, his reputation kind of uh, preceded him. So, in the original, excuse me, in the last uh, Fantastic Beasts movie, The uh, Crimes of Grindelwald, the titular uh, Grindelwald's character was actually played by Johnny Depp. And this was actually one of the first times, or Johnny Depp was one of the first actors to play the character of uh, Gellert Grindelwald. That and also he was one of the first American actors to be in a Harry Potter series. And actually, unlike Dan Fogler, who who is an American and plays an American, he also, um, Johnny Depp was actually the first per, uh, American person to play a British person in these series. And one of the biggest... Uh, striking differences between the 2018 movie Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald and the 2022 movie Fantastic Beast: The Secrets of Dumbledore is that the character, Gellert Grindelwald, is in the film, but this time he is not played by Johnny Depp because Johnny Depp was initially set to return and actually filmed one scene for the film, but he actually resigned following negative publicity and not just his alleged, uh, domestic violence with, uh, his girlfriend, Amber Heard, but also the fact that he was involved. Johnny Depp was in a class action law, uh, a, a libel case with news group newspapers limited. The two incidents might've been related, but in this film, Geller Grindelwald is, A, still the villain, and B, he's played by Danish actor Mads Mikkelsen. So that's one of the biggest uh, striking differences between Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, and Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. But truth be told, Johnny Depp was, even though I like Johnny Depp in most movies I've seen him in, I didn't actually like him in... The uh, Crimes of Grindelwald. I thought that he was a little too over the top, and it was also very distracting that he was an American playing a uh, British character. And I don't exactly know why J.K. Rowling broke her rule about casting British people for the British parts. Because I actually thought that was a bit of an extreme rule, but at the same time, I wasn't entirely against it. As a matter of fact, J.K. Rowling was so um, stuck to this rule that Robin Williams actually wanted to portray Hagrid in the first Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but he was turned down because he wasn't British. To turn down Robin Williams for any role he wanted at that point in his career, that was risky. But, you know, it all kind of turned out for the best because the actor who played Hagrid throughout the eight Harry Potter films uh, Robbie Coltrane was great. But anyway, Fantastic Beast, The Secret of Dumbledore. This actually takes place in 1932, just a little ways away from when uh, the crimes of Grindelwald took place. And we're reintroduced to Newt Scamander, who's played in this movie by Eddie Redmayne. And he helps a mythical, well, not a mythical, a real creature in the magical realm who's called a Quillin who can see into one's soul as well as the future. And this Quillen gives birth to twins. But Gellert Grindelwald's acolytes, led by a character by the name of Credence Barebone, who bears somewhat of a resemblance to Severus Snape. And I was kind of disappointed that Credence Barebone is no relation to Severus Snape, at least not that I know of. But either way... Get Grindelwald's acolytes attack and kill the mother and kidnap one of the newborns. But Newt Scamander holds on to another one of the newborns. And the, the Grindelwald's goal is to take this newborn Quillen, wh- which looks kind of like a deer with scales. That's the best way I can describe it without showing you the movie on my radio show. But anyway, <laughs> he takes this... Killin, uh, Q-I-L-I-N, that's how I'm going to pronounce it, Killin or Quillin. But either way, he takes this creature and manipulates it to the point of actually killing it and bringing it back to life so that it can declare Grindelwald the head of the Ministry of Magic, giving the erroneous distinction of of Grindelwald being actually pure of heart, pure of hard enough to hold such a distinction. And unable to fight Grindelwald due to a blood pact because Gellert Grindelwald and Albus Dumbledore had a romantic relationship. Because remember, Albus uh, Dumbledore was gay. That was revealed implicitly in the seventh Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, which came out in 2007. And it was further solidified by the movie of the same name. Or uh, part two of it. But anyway, Albus Dumbledore recruits uh, Newt, his brother Theseus, and Livermorny Charms professor Ulali Lally Hicks, as well as Senegalese French wizard Yusuf Kama, an American nomad. It's called nomad at this time, but it would be later be called uh, a Muggle. Jacob Kowalski to thwart Grindelwald's plans for world domination. So I thought this f- film had as good as special effects as the previous Fantastic Beasts movies, and I thought it had a much better plot than The Crimes of Grind- Grindelwald. And as I said previously, I think that Mads Mikkelsen made a better. Uh, Gellert Grindelwald than Johnny Depp did. I thought that Mads Mikkelsen was certainly evil, but he was a lot more reserved. And I think that Mads Mikkelsen's take on the character was a lot more mature and more focused than Johnny Depp's was. And I'm not saying that Johnny Depp was bad because he's an American playing a British person. What I was surprised about him being cast in that role uh, of uh, Grindelwald is just JK Rowling's previous, uh, caveat about having British actors playing British people again, which I'm not against. I think it's a bit of an extreme rule, but it is after all a British production, not an American film, but this fantastic beast was always intended to at least be a trilogy. And, It was ultimately going to be released in theaters in November of 2020. We all know why it wasn't released in theaters, because back in November of 2020, all movie theaters were closed. Yeah, 2020 was a bad year, and I do not ever want to go back to it, not that I would ever do that with plutonium or whatever, but anyway. But I enjoyed Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, not only for its performances, especially by the likes of... Jude Law, Eddie Redmayne, Dan Fogler, Jessica Williams, and Mads Mikkelsen, in general, but also the fact that the movie had a more focused storyline. It did, admittedly, take me a while to find out what the what the purpose of the uh, killing creature was and why Grindelwald wanted it. It's obvious why Newt Scamander wanted the to save the creature because Newt Scamander is an animal lover and literally wrote the book on Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. He probably should have titled that book Fantastic Beasts and How to Treat Them. first rule, don't kill them. But (laughs) again, that's, I suppose, another story. But I did enjoy this film definitely a lot more than Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. In fact, it's been three and a half years since I saw The Crimes of Grindelwald. And truth be told, I remember Johnny Depp being over the top and not quite the right fit for the role in spite of the fact that he's American. But I don't honestly remember very much else about it. And I don't have a bad memory, but first of all, it's been three and a half years since I've seen that film. Secondly, I see a vast majority of films only once. Because I just don't have the time to see a lot of them again, unless I really, really want to see them again. And third, I consume so much other media, so many other movies, so many TV shows. So it is actually kind of surprising with the number of things that I see how when I see sequels or other episodes, I really have to play catch up on some of these characters. But I think that the secrets of Dumbledore did a relatively good job catching us up without having a part in the beginning where it says last time on fantastic beast, the crimes of Grindelwald or saying when we last left our characters, kind of like one of those bombastic announcers from the TV shows of the fifties and sixties. But I did enjoy The Secret of Dumbledore. I thought it was a huge step above The Crimes of Grindelwald, but not quite as good as the original Fantastic Beasts film. I thought that Eddie Redmayne, who's the star of the film, was pushed to the back a bit. But for what he did in the film, I thought it was good. And I also thought one of the most memorable parts in the movie is when his um, character, Newt Scamander, actually tries to rescue his brother, uh and he's his brother, uh Theseus Commander, who is played by Callum Turner, is hanging upside down in this dungeon. And Newt is trying to not only get to him, but also get through these creatures that are kind of like crabs. So he ends up winning over the crabs by doing this kind of dance that I know when this movie is released in on Blu ray and 4K, not to mention streaming, in a couple of months. People are going to take that part of the movie and make a meme out of it. I know it, but it's one of the more memorable parts of the film, which is why I give Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, my rating of a marginal knockout. I really enjoyed the performances. I thought the special effects, particularly the CGI of the Fantastic Beasts was just that. It was fantastic. And it's a movie that had me guessing what was going to come next, but at the same time, I thought the plot was particularly original and certainly outside the normal seven plots that Hollywood uh, conjures up for several of its movies. So I enjoyed The Secrets of Dumbledore and I'm looking forward to the next Fantastic Beasts movie. Hopefully it'll be even better than this. (laughs) Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing is Father Stew. This is a film that actually came out on Wednesday, April 13th, 2022, not April 15th, 2022. Uh, And I think that was largely because April 11th through 15th, or more accurately, April 10th through 16th, 2022 is Holy Week. It's the week of Good Friday and the week before Easter Sunday. Not to mention, for the first time in ne- over 30 years, um Holy Week coincides with Passover. But it's um Father Stu's opening coinciding with Passover is merely coincidental because Father Stew is about is actually a true story about a priest by the name of Stuart Long, who it's a bit ironic that he it was a priest because originally he started out as a boxer. And in the film, Mark Wahlberg plays uh Stuart Long and he also serves as the producer of the film. And actress Colleen Camp, uh executive produced the film, but she also co-star or makes an appearance in the film as well so Mark Wahlberg plays uh Stuart Long who's a guy in his I presume his late 30s because Mark Wahlberg even though he's well into his 40s and he may be 50 by about now can still pass for a guy in his late 30s much to his credit and he had a difficult upbringing he had a deadbeat father by the name of Bill who's played by Mel Gibson who is so deadbeat of a father that that basically Mel Gibson's character tells his son while he's drinking a beer to eat his effing vegetables uh, amongst other things. I don't think that uh, Bill Long was necessarily an abusive father, but definitely a deadbeat. One that drinks beer in front of his son and all that other stuff. And... Stuart Long's mother, Kathleen Long, is played by Jackie Weaver. And when Stuart Long gets to be an adult, his mother and father are divorced, and his father is more or less estranged. And Mark, uh, excuse me, Stuart Long starts out in his adult life as a boxer and has had some success with it, but he has some. Injuries that force him to ultimately retire before he gets as far into the boxing world as he um would be able to get, but then uh Stuart long again played by Mark Wahlberg leaves his hometown of Helena, Montana. It's either Helena or Helena, and moves to l a where he plans to be an actor after um his boxing career has officially ended and he doesn't have very much success there. Although usually the stories about people leaving their small town to go to Hollywood are usually people in their early to mid twenties, sometimes even their teens. But when you see a guy in his, uh, thirties, try to make it as an actor and, and not make it, it's actually a bit, uh, sadder to see that, but his life changes when he meets a woman um, in the uh, grocery store he's working at, whose name is Carmen, who's played by a lovely actress by the name of Teresa Ruiz. And to win her affections, he finds out the Catholic Church, which she attends with her family, and for the sole purpose of just (laughs) winning over this woman, he attends the Catholic Church. But then eventually he becomes so devout a Catholic after being... Baptized as a Catholic, because I think his family was agnostic and maybe even atheist, he has a calling after a motorcycle accident where not only does he revive his faith in God, but he also decides to become a priest. And it's very unusual this day and age for somebody to become a priest, particularly somebody who's had as hard a time. Um, growing up and has had a past like Stuart Long has, but he joins the seminary and really devotes himself to becoming a priest. And the main reason why it's probably most surprising that he becomes a priest is because by becoming a, a a Catholic priest, he can't be in a relationship, especially not a sexual relationship with this woman, Carmen. Carmen. So the movie does take a lot of its time going from having Stuart Long be a boxer who has a hard upbringing to becoming a priest. As a matter of fact, with this movie's running time of of over two hours, it's probably an hour and a half before he decides to join the seminary, and I don't think that the linear storytelling for this movie was quite right. I do think that the movie probably should have started with Mark Wahlberg's character in the seminary and then cut back to when he's um, being a boxer. And I just thought the movie took a little too long to get to that point. But I did like Mark Wahlberg in this movie. I also really liked Mel Gibson. And I th- I think it was a wise move Not to make Mel Gibson be a a Catholic priest, but I liked his interactions with, well, just about everybody in this film, particularly his worrying mother, uh, Kathleen, Uh, Jackie Weaver turns in a great performance as usual. And then when he starts to make amends with his father, Bill, uh, that's actually quite moving. My problem was though, that it's ironic that somebody who used to be a boxer would become a priest. Yes, that's very ironic because that, that usually doesn't happen, but the movie kind of spends about five minutes on the fact that Stuart Long used to be a boxer and doesn't really take into account the irony of that kind of background. It's actually an even bigger irony that Stuart Long, after he retires from being a boxer, is a hard drinker and He swears a lot. That's probably more ironic about him being a priest than him being a boxer, particularly one with a uh, criminal record. Again, that's one of the more ironic parts, but the movie doesn't exactly focus in on the irony and also doesn't sort of hone in on what Stuart Long's ambitions were before, um, become making his way to the priesthood. It does, however, uh, there is a bit of a twist in the end. It's not um, a twist in terms of a deviation from the true story because everything in this movie is more or less true, but it's also something that came a little too late in the film, I think, and made the film tonally uneven. Having said that, though, Father Stew is a better faith-based film, which I, I think it would be, than a lot of the other films that are intentionally faith-based and tell you that it's not enough to believe in God. You have to go to church every Sunday. You have to pray to God every night. You have to pray before meals. And you have to tell every single person about your belief in God, whether they want to hear it or not. And if you don't do that, if you s- step one it, um, step below that, then you might as well be a fire-breathing Satanist. To Father Stu's credit, it is not that kind of movie. It It is balanced in terms of its faith-based message. And I also liked it towards the end how there's a certain illness that Stuart Long has, and he's wondering why God has forsaken him, especially after... Stuart Long decided to become a priest and devote literally his whole life to God. But then there's another message that ties into its biblical ramifications, which I thought was appropriate and well-balanced. So the message of the film is well-balanced, and it's also not preachy, despite it being about a sort of preacher. (laughs) But what is not um, even about the film is how it felt like the most significant parts of Stuart Long's life were crammed into the very beginning and near the very end of the film. And I think that if they had taken out a lot of the fat from the middle of the film, it would have been better. So there were some things that I did enjoy about the film. It's actually not the first time that Mel Gibson has played Mark Wahlberg's father. It's also not the first time that Mel Gibson has played Mark Wahlberg's deadbeat absent father either. Uh, both of them were in the movie Daddy's Home 2, which I actually thought was better than the original Daddy's Home, and they work together uh, very well here, especially as Mel Gibson's character is beginning to redeem himself, kind of like Mel Gibson is in real life. So I liked some things about Father Stu, but because of its tonal unevenness and its inability to balance Stuart Long's previous life post-priesthood, uh, and then uh, pre-priesthood and post-priesthood, it's why I'm giving uh, Father Stu my rating of a checkout. I do think that this is going to attract some people who are looking for a faith-based movie. I don't think they'll be disappointed. But the people who kind of roll their eyes at faith-based movies and probably laugh out loud during them, like me also might like these as well. But the movie needed a lot more balance in terms of its storytelling. And had it had that, it would have been a great movie. But for now, I give it a marginal recommendation. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Morbius. This is a film that is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's actually part of Sony's Spider-Man Universe. It is the third film in that series, and eventually the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to coincide with Sony's Spider-Man Universe, but this is a collaboration between Sony, Columbia Pictures, and Marvel Studios, and... It stars Jared Leto as Michael Morbius, who later evolves into Morbius the Living Vampire, which is a fictional character that appeared in Marvel Comics and actually made its debut in The Amazing Spider-Man number 101, which was released in September of 1971. So this is, as far as I know, the first film incantation of Morbius and I had my reservations about Jared Leto getting into either the Sony Spider-Man universe or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because whenever Jared Leto is in a comic book movie, the results haven't been good, and particularly because of him. Uh, The only example of this is actually when Jared Leto entered the DC Extended Universe in the movie Suicide Squad as Joker. Joker. And unlike Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, and after him, Joaquin Phoenix, Jared Leto's version of the Joker was met with derision, both the way he performed the Joker, which I didn't like, and also his stories about his method acting and some of the pranks he pulled on other people, which I thought was uncalled for, even for method actors. So Jared Leto now has a reputation for being not only a method actor like Shelly Winters, Marlon Brando, and Robert De Niro, but being an obnoxious method actor. I forgot to mention Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, as well as the other actors that I mentioned, did method acting correctly. And I'm speaking from somebody who did not co-star with them because uh, these actors did certainly upset their co-stars with their method acting tendencies, but Jared Leto kind of took that a step above. But in any event, in this movie... Um, Jared Leto plays Dr. Michael Morbius, who actually starts out as an orphan in a hospital in Greece, even though he is American and he is actually somebody who has a condition that requires him to have crutches to move around and 25 years after we meet him as a child he becomes a doctor and actually works with synthetic blood. So he creates artificial blood, which has not been created yet, but it's probably in the process, and revolutionizes the medical industry, so much so that he actually earns a Nobel Prize for his work, but he declines it. I don't know exactly why, but the movie says that he does. But in the meantime, he is traveling around the world and he, we first meet him when he's traveling into Costa Rica and he secretly captured dozens of vampire bats in the hopes of splicing their genes with his own in order to cure his condition. And he collaborates with another doctor by the name of Martine Bancroft, who is both a fellow doctor and a love interest who is played by Adria Arjona. And one look at Adria Arjona and you can definitely see how she could be, uh, how she could be a love interest of Jared Leto's character. Uh, She could be a love interest of just about any uh, character because she is drop dead gorgeous. But anyway, the two of them conspire to inject Dr. Michael Morbius with this vampire bat DNA in order for him to ditch the crutches and actually improve his medical condition which is um not actually uh defined very well but it's a, it's considered or it's explained in the movie that's a rare blood disease and there's a surrogate brother of him whose name is Milo Morbius who's played by Matt Smith who has the same kind of blood disease and remember they're surrogate brothers they're not actual brothers But apparently Milo Morbius does the same kind of treatment that Michael Morbius does. And unlike Michael Morbius, Milo Morbius embraces his identity as a vampire and becomes a villain. So it's not just that these characters become vampires. They also have certain abilities that very much like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they can't exactly control. And, un- and very much like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Michael Morbius finds himself craving blood in order for him not to become a vampire. And truth be told, when Jared Leto and, uh, Matt Smith become vampires, uh, because of this, uh, DNA injection, they actually look pretty scary, but the, the movie just didn't really uh, do it for me because I felt like I had seen this kind of movie before. In fact, it, it seemed to follow the exact same plot as the second Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, The Incredible Hulk, starring Edward Norton and Liv Tyler. Edward Norton, of course, played Dr. Bruce Banner in that film, and he really shot his career in the foot by not reprising that role later in The Avengers, but that's another story. A lot of people consider that uh, The Incredible Hulk probably among the worst, if not the worst of The Incredible Hulk, uh, excuse me, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, but first of all, I thought it was better than the Ang Lee-directed 2003 movie, and secondly, I thought there were some things that actually worked uh, with it. And definitely Edward Norton not reprising that role later hurt his career as well as hurt the reputation of that movie. But if you watch these films back to back, you're going to immediately notice the similarities. It shows somebody who voluntarily steps up to to, uh, take part in this experimental medical Um, surgery that hasn't been practiced on anybody else before and it creates not only drastic consequences but also a dangerous alter ego and then there's another person who takes the same kind of antidote and the same thing happens except the other person becomes a villain and the person who took it originally becomes a hero. That is exactly like The Incredible Hulk and that is exactly like the film Morbius. In addition to that, Jared Leto was actually okay in this film, but not great. There were parts where Jared Leto was trying to be funny, and Jared Leto's just not funny. He doesn't exactly have to be, because he's good-looking enough, and he also excels in dramas. But in parts where they tried to make him like Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man, for example, or maybe like uh, Chris Hemsworth in the later Thor movies... It just doesn't work. And I just thought that he hit the right notes when it came to trying to be, um, trying to be somebody who is trying to gain control of a surgical procedure that he regrets taking that creates an alter ego and sort of a dangerous other personality. But there there actually is one other time where he seems to rip off the Hulk and it's when he is arrested and charged for uh, murder, uh, for which wasn't entirely his fault, but it was his alter ego who killed all these other people. But he says to the officers who are interrogating him, you won't like me when I'm hungry. Does that sound familiar to Hulk fans? It certainly did to me. So Morbius was a disappointment. I did come into the film sort of rolling my eyes that Jared Leto was taking it on another comic book universe and Then he would take this role a little too seriously, but it wasn't so much Jared Leto's fault that this film didn't work, it was the story. The story was obviously ripped from The Incredible Hulk, and if it wasn't ripped from The Incredible Hulk, it was probably ripped from another story. So, Morbius gets my rating of a strikeout. I thought that the acting in the film was particularly good. I, I liked uh, uh Adria Arjona the best, and not just because She's pretty, but I think that if the Marvel Cinematic Universe without the aid of the Spider-Man universe had created this film, it would have been maybe um, a, a little bit better and probably would have tied into the Marvel Cinematic Universe more and probably built itself up the way that most Marvel Cinematic Universe movies of late, with the exception of the Eternals, have done so well. But Morbius is a miss and even though the movie hints at both a sequel and a crossover with the Spider-Man universe, particularly where there's a cameo from a certain Marvel Cinematic Universe actor very, very late in the movie that I won't give away, I'm still not exactly looking forward to it, but maybe with the addition of Tom Holland's Spider-Man, it might be a better sequel. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the films I have to review for this show, it's now time for me to get into what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are coming out in theaters or are subject to coming out in theaters for the weekend of April 22nd, 2022. And after I do that, I'm going to get into as many films that are premiering on streaming platforms as I can. But because I go to the movies regularly now, I'm going to get into the movies that are subject to appear in theaters on april twenty second. What looks to be the biggest film that's coming out in theaters this coming weekend is The North Man. And this is a film from visionary director Robert Eggers. And it is an action film. It is an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Not the most original um, plot, but with a Viking uh, setting, it might be good. So it stars Alexander Skarsgård, who's probably ideal to play a Viking, um, Nicole Kidman, who lives in Nashville, uh, Klaus Bangs, and Ethan Hawke. So you got, I don't know who Klaus Bangs is, but the other three actors are fantastic. And Robert Eggers is a director whose name I have seen before. Maybe I've seen some of his movies, but of course, a Viking epic is one that I would love to see. And it seems like, um, oh, actually, Robert Eggers is a director from New Hampshire, interestingly enough. And before directing this film, he actually directed The Witch, which was one of my favorite films of 2015. This is the film that put Anya Taylor joy on the map. And I think it's her best film to date. She also direct, excuse me. Uh, Robert Eggers also directed another film that I did not get to see, but I heard great things about this movie came out when I was, when words on film was on hiatus back in the latter half or latter third of 2019. It's the lighthouse stars, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And The Lighthouse was one of those films that not only was a critical success, maybe not a commercial success, but The Lighthouse was um, a film that brought, I think, officially Robert Pattinson out of the stigma of having been in Twilight. So The Northman is a movie that I will see, rest assured, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that's coming on theaters this coming weekend is what looks to be, and I'm not saying whether it is or not, because only box office receipts will tell, not to mention time. This might be Nicolas Cage's long awaited comeback film. This movie is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Nicolas Cage plays himself, and he plays a cash-strapped version of himself, because Nicolas Cage, I mean, made millions uh, in the films that he did in the 90s and the aughts. He did some films in the 80s too, but he really became an A-lister, a respected actor, and a multi-millionaire back then. But he made some very poor financial decisions, uh, particularly with his investments, and he ended up going... I don't know if he exactly went bankrupt, but he went nearly bankrupt. But to Nicolas Cage's credit, very much like John Travolta and sadly until recently Bruce Willis, he never stopped making movies, for which I credit him. But his movies that have come out have not necessarily been great. But there have been actually some diamonds amongst the rough that Nicolas Cage uh, has made. For instance, there was one where he played an Alaskan detective who was hunting a serial killer, and the movie co-starred John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens, and that movie was excellent. He also did another film about three years ago, which was not a great film, I thought, but it had some amazing visuals. And he played a guy whose wife had been kidnapped by a cult, and he sought revenge on him, and it was kind of like a heavy metal album brought to film. And even though I did, I wasn't crazy about the plot of the film and other people's acting in the film besides Nicolas Cage, I actually did appreciate it as time went on. But anyway, this movie not only stars Nicolas Cage, the movie The Unbearable rate, Weight of Massive Talent, but it also stars Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, and Nicolas Kim Coppola, who I believe is probably Nicolas Cage's son because... Nicholas Cage's real name is Nicholas Coppola. He changed his name because he didn't want to be necessarily associated by nepotism with his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, which I think is a good reason to change your name. And it worked out incredibly well for Nicolas Cage. So The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent is a film that I will see. And I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is coming out in theaters is a film that's called The Bad Guys. This one is an animated one, and it stars several reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals who attempt to become good with some disastrous results along the way. This is kind of like the sort of uh, film we've seen before, but The Bad Guys has Sam Rockwell playing a big bad wolf. It also features the voices of Mark Marin, Aquafina, and Craig Robinson. And this film looks funny, and it certainly has, again, a premise we've seen before, but maybe a bit of a funny one. But I do like the idea of bad uh, characters gone um, good, and I'm not sure exactly if these uh, characters who consist of a wolf, a shark, a piranha, and a snake, I don't know if it's like Shrek where they're from fairy tales, or if they're just animals, anthropomorphic animals that are traditionally seen as bad. I don't know, but I will see it and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. So those three movies, the North man, the unbearable weight of massive talent and the bad guys are movies that are almost guaranteed to be coming to a theater specifically a multiplex near you. So we'll see how that goes. But there are some independent films that could be coming out in the theater near you. If not your local multiplex, then definitely your independent. I shouldn't say definitely, but probably your independent theater. One is called Petite Maman, which is obviously a foreign film, probably French. It's about a woman by the name of Nellie who just lost her grandmother and is helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. She explores the house and the surrounding woods, and one day she meets a girl her same age building a treehouse. And this movie is, even though it doesn't sound like it, it's a drama and fantasy. But maybe the treehouse... Probably, definitely the treehouse is where the fantasy kicks in. The movie doesn't star any actors with whom I'm immediately familiar. It stars, uh, Josephine and Gabrielle Sans, Nina, Maryse, and Stephanie Varupen, uh, French actors, of course. Um, this sounds like an interesting story. Uh, I will see it if I have time to see it and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters is another that's called Hostile Territory. This one is an American film, and it takes place in post-Civil War America, where a Union soldier is presumed dead, his children are mistakenly sent away on the orphan train. And this is a Wild West story of people uniting for the greater good and children forced to grow up quickly. That sounds kind of dark. It is definitely a Western, but it's also a drama and also a history film. It stars Matt McCoy, Brad Leland, Bria B., and Lou Temple, some familiar actors in there. I don't know if I'm going to see this film, but I'll keep an eye out for it. If I have time to see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. The other film that is subject to being released in theaters is one that's called The Duke. It takes place in 1961 where Kempton Burton, excuse me, Kempton Bunton, a 60-year-old taxi driver steals Goya's portrait of the Duke of Wellington from the National Gallery in London. I'm very impressed that a cab driver could do it. The movie stars Jim Broadbent, who is a fantastic actor. I'll see anything he's in. Heather Craney, Stephen Rashbrook, and James Wilby. This seems like one that could go to streaming and do very well there, but if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. Now that I've reviewed all, or rather given you a spoken word preview of the movies that are coming out in theaters, now it's time for me to get into my next sub-segment of what's coming up next, which is where I go down as many films that are going to be premiering on streaming as I possibly can. So we're going to start with Netflix and go to as many other streaming platforms as I possibly can. I don't have a ton of time, but one original film, a Netflix original, that will be premiering on the platform on Wednesday, April 13th, is Today We Fix the World. And this is a film that is a foreign film. It's directed by Ariel Winograd, who is an Argentinian director, which makes me believe that this is an Argentinian film. The movie is about a man who finds out the child he has been raising for nine years might not be his son at all. Then they set out to find the real biological father. This is a film that sounds like Americans would jump on this for a remake in a heartbeat. Uh, the movie, if you're curious, stars uh, Leonardo uh, Sparaglia and Benjamin Otero, uh, in addition to some other people. This Sounds like an interesting film. I don't know if I'm going to have time to see it, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. On Friday, April 15th, there are two films that are going to be premiering on Netflix. One is a Netflix original. The other one is not. The one that is a Netflix original is one is one that's called Choose or Die. My presumption is that this is an American film because usually American films premiere on Fridays, whereas the foreign films premiere on other days, but indeed it is a, an American film. It stars some familiar actors and this is a film about a young coder in the 1980s who after firing up a lost, Oh, maybe it doesn't take place in the eighties, but the young coder fires up a lost eighties survival horror game. But then this is the interesting part unleashes a hidden curse that tears reality apart forcing her to make terrifying decisions and face deadly consequences. My mind is blown just from reading that premise. That sounds so exciting. Uh, The movie is directed by Toby Meekins and stars Iola Evans as the uh, young coder. It also stars Asa Butterfield and Robert England, who played the original Freddy Krueger. And it's very unusual to see Robert England play other roles besides Freddy Krueger, but... I am totally on board with this. I would love to see this film. I don't know if I'm going to have time to see it, but I will make it very much like the other films that I mentioned, like The North Man and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I'm going to make it a priority to see this film because it sounds absolutely amazing, the The plot of this. It sounds kind of like War Games meets The Matrix, and I'm totally on board with it. So Choose or Die is the uh, name of the film, and I'll let you know what I think. Um on next week's show if I do see it, but I'm not making any promises. The other film that will be premiering on Netflix, but is not, um, a Netflix original is a film that's called one piece film Z. This is a film that came out in 2012 and it is an anime and is about a former Marine who stands in the way of, of the straw hat pirates. I don't know who the straw hat pirates are, but this sounds particularly, um, they, they sound dangerous. So it's probably going to be an English dub, but it's not exactly a film that I would, uh, go out of my way to see because there are so many animes and sometimes the animes blend together, but choose or die is a film I will most likely see. So that's all of the original, um, Netflix films that we will be premiering. Uh, there are actually a couple of uh, films that will be premiering on Disney Plus, and both of them are documentaries. Uh, they're going to be premiering on Friday, April 22nd. And the last uh, film that premiered on Disney Plus was on Friday, April 1st, and it was called Better Nate Than Never. Ho, ho, ho. Um, I don't know if I'm going to see this film. And I'm not sure if I'm going to see those other documentaries, but if I do, you know the drill. I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. On HBO Max, there is one film that is an original that will be premiering on Friday, April 22nd, and it's called Toy officio, Not Toy Aficionado, it's called Toy Officio. And it is a foreign film. And I presume it's about toys, but the, the internet is not telling me anything about this other than the fact that it'll be premiering. So I don't exactly know, um, what <laughs> this movie's about, how it is. I don't know. Is it, will it be a, will it be a movie that I see? I, I don't exactly know that either, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show, but For those of you who missed the Batman in the theaters, you can see it on HBO max on Monday, April 18th. So there's that. And the Batman, unlike Morbius did not disappoint on Hulu. I'm scrolling down to see that there is one film that's coming out on Thursday. There, there are actually a bunch of films that will be premiering on Hulu, there's a documentary that I know I saw on Netflix, which was called Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant Dead, and this was the story of the National Lampoon magazine. That That's not a Hulu original, but but actually premiered on Friday, April 15th. But there's a film that will be premiering on Hulu, which is not a Hulu original, and it's called Captive Audience. And Captive Audience is a 2022 film, but it is not a... It's not a Hulu original, or at least it's not telling me that it is. It's actually a uh, limited series. And this is a movie that st- follows the life of Stephen Stainer and his family, diving into the family's 50-year journey to unravel the tale of two brothers, one deemed a villain and the other a hero. So here's the story behind this. Steven Stainer is a, an adult now, but he's a child. He was a child who was kidnapped, And he eventually found his way home. And when he found his way home, the media went wild. In fact, they made a TV movie about him. But his brother, and talk about differing from your brother in biblical ways, his brother was later accused of multiple murders. It's really dark stuff, but this is a documentary that will be premiering on uh, Thursday, April 21st. It is unlikely that I will review this for you on next week's show because it takes me a while to see limited series, and I don't know also if this is going to be one of those instances where the limited miniseries is all coming out in one lump sum or it's going to be week after week because sometimes... Movies, uh, or rather miniseries on streaming platforms tend to do that. Even Netflix, who used to release all their episodes of a series or miniseries or a season all at once, would do that kind of uh, practice. But they're actually starting to do some of their series either week after week or day after day sometimes. So that is a series that I will see, but I don't know if I'm going to review it for you on next week's show. And certainly not amongst the other movies that I am more obligated to see. And I'm also being told that the Kardashians premiered on Hulu. They left the E network and now they're on Hulu. Will I see that series probably not because yeah, the Kardashians are attractive just about all of them, but man, their stories bore me to tears. I really don't care one way or the other about their life. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.